in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Brian Fry. Brian, I hear you're doing some gardening out there in Spokane. Did the garden win or did you win? Oh, I definitely lost. The garden The garden always wins. I've got 1.5 acres that is never finished. So it's, uh, it, it's, not, a, it's not a battle you can win, just, uh, just fight. Let Mother Nature take some of that back, 1.5 acres. You're a madman, Brian Fry. You're a madman. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm out of hand. But you know what? I am also very excited today. I'm on to the weather. I do not, I do not feel very good. But uh, I am feeling better now because nothing makes me feel better than a first-time guest on this show. Today, we have Bears Rebecca Fonte from Austin, Texas. Bears, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty darn good. Thanks for having me. Oh, we are so happy to have you on. What is it you do for a living, Bears? Well, I am the artistic director of the Other Worlds Film Festival, which is a science fiction and horror film festival based in Austin, Texas, as well as I'm on the board of directors for the All Genders, Lifestyles, and Identities Film Festival, which is the local LGBTQ festival here in Austin, and I'm a filmmaker. I have a brand new film that's going to be making its U.S. premiere uh, at the Austin, uh, the All Genders, Lifestyles, and Internet and Identities Film Festival in August. That's super cool. Very cool. What is it called? It's called Conversion Therapists, and it is about a polyamorous trio who kidnap a conversion therapist and torture him until he sees the wrong of his uh, of his life. Is this going to be like a heavy uh, introspective kind of movie or is this going to be like a comedy? Because I could see it going either way. It's it's actually uh, amusingly funny, but it's also very dark. So it's that it's that sort of dark humor that I think you can only do. Uh, if it comes from truth, painful truth. So you, did you write and produce and direct all of this? I wrote and directed, and then I usually can trick someone else into producing for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst part of it. Uh, but we did get to rip open somebody's arms with a circular saw. So Make oh. it look real. I like it. Yep, yep. So we got to get people out there in the listenership that's not a word. Listenership. We got to get the people who are listening a feel for who you are. I've presented the three most important questions to basically assume who you are at your core. Are you ready for this? <laughs> this is dangerous, but okay. What is your first movie theater memory? Actually, this is pretty. This one is a pretty specific and and good one. It's Star Wars. I was uh, two years old, and my parents went to the drive-in movie theater, and I watched it out of the back of the car. It's the first movie I, I remember. Wow, that's a great location to see it, too. I mean, drive-in and Star Wars? Oh, man. Brian, where were you when you saw Star Wars the first time? Oh, gosh. Um, I would assume a living room. I I would say it was probably on television. I was four years old, and I remember I saw it in 
definitely a living room, on a tiny little TV that had a power knob that you would pull out and uh, didn't have any remote that you had to go up and push. So uh, it did have a VCR, though, and uh, I watched it on tape, and uh, I, I thought I was Luke Skywalker for a good solid month. That's awesome. <laughs> Dude, just, just the knob TV thing just takes me back to, like, rotary phones, which I miss those. people will understand. Everybody now in, inappropriately thinks that I'm 60, but that's okay. <laughs> I love that that sound when you turn off a, a knob television and it makes that little like clicking noise and the picture minimizes into one line. I don't know. I miss that. It's like uh, savoring the flavor for just a second longer. Exactly. Well, in case of you were curious about this, I found out something new and utterly useless at the Apple Store the other day. Uh, there is actually an app you can now download that makes your video camera on your cell phone look like it was a CCTV VH tape recorded. Is there also something you could use to make your footage scramble, like you know when you try to click on Cinemax late at night and uh, and catch a glimpse of like a breast? You know, that's a good idea. I like that. Uh, for me, it was the Spice Channel, though. Yeah, that's what it was called. Yeah. It was like it was like a Picasso. It's like one boob was in the top left part of the screen. The other boob was on the middle right part of the screen. And it was green and blue and red and distorted. But uh, See, you were getting an idea. You were, get, you were getting an anatomy class there. This is an excellent discussion for how kids today don't know how good they have it. Exactly. <laughs> and then when you got to the real thing, you're like, ah, I don't understand. Like, this is not at all what it looked like when it was all scrambled on the it's not. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I get to see it for more than half a second. There's what is your favorite movie that takes place or was shot in Texas? Well, I'm tempted to say Logan's Run because it's another uh, sci-fi classic. But I'm going to go a little more obscure and say Dancer, Texas, population 81. Sort of a talky drama in the vein of like swingers about four guys growing up, friends in a tiny town in Texas, and then just doing anything they can to get out of town. And of course, you realize none of them are ever going to leave ever. Interesting. I've never heard of this one. Yeah, it's really good. It's from the 90s. The best decade there My is. Favorite time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what actor or actress would you most want to meet? You know, I, th I think I'm still on Natalie Portman, and I've been on Natalie Portman since the professional and beautiful nice. girls. Yeah. And you stuck with her through Phantom Menace. I, I you know, <laughs> she braved <laughs> on through some of the worst writing that's ever been done for her. But uh, yeah. Oscar winner. She never ceases to impress me. So that's a great choice. And if our other co-host Chad Robinson were here, he'd, he'd second that he, he's a big fan. So today we're going to do 1993's demolition man. It grosses $58 million. It places uh, 18th in the box office that year. It places just behind the Michael Crichton movie Rising Sun, which, if I'm not mistaken, also has Wesley Snipes in it. And it comes just ahead of Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Number one movie this year was Jurassic Park. IMDb gives Demolition Man a 6.6. .6. Uh, the critics of Rotten Tomatoes give it a 61%, and the audience scores gives it a 66%. So this might seem a little bit lower than what we usually do, but... I feel like it's underappreciated, judging by these metrics. Wouldn't you say, Bears? It's extremely unappreciated. I think it's one of the funniest films. I think it's probably the funniest film Stallone ever made, but it's definitely one of the funniest science fiction films, and the cast is fantastic. Yeah, it's a huge cast. I mean, like, surprising. Like, until I rewatched it for the show this time, 
I just hadn't really given it enough credit for how large and deep the te- uh, cast was in this. Some people who were just really at the start of their careers, and I and I think that the probably the best thing that Joel Silver did as the producer on this is cast a really fantastic film. Yeah. So Bears, what was the first time you saw Demolition Man? Well, it would have been in the theaters in 1993, which is when I was seeing pretty much any science fiction film that ever came out. And I think this came out the same year as Last Action Hero, and those were my two favorite films that year. So, What were you expecting coming back to it now, Bears? It's interesting because this is a movie that my wife always criticizes me for. If we're flipping channels and this is on, I cannot change the channel. It must be watched to the end. And so I've seen this film many, many times. So I wasn't really expecting anything new, but I definitely was watching it with a, a more critical eye, I think, than uh, than I ever have before. And did that hold up under the critical eye? It still did. You know, I did. I found that I'm not laughing as much as I, especially watching it by yourself, you never laugh as much as you do with other people. When you laugh and be like, ha ha, isn't that funny? You should laugh too. I still really enjoyed it, and I I thought a lot about the commentary it makes against political correctness, which at the time this movie was made, was a huge issue in America. So um, looking at it through that eye, I think it it really had a lot to say. I like it. Uh, Brian, how about you? Have you seen Demolition Man before? Oh, yes. Uh, I had this movie on VHS. It is (laughs) – I uh, this might be my first favorite good-bad movie. Like I, it really might have been like the first one that I bought, recognizing it was what it was, and really just doubling down on it. Like, yeah, I gotta own this. <laughs> well, for me, this is my first go round with it. My first time actually passing through, I was like, uh, I had this higher hope by reading the descriptions. I was in for some kind of you know gritty movie that it, it's Stallone, so I I didn't I didn't expect such I guess a tongue in cheek movie. And then I watched it again a second time after reading on it, and something changed for me. I may not have had the right expectations coming in the first time, but somehow going through it a second time, I just had fun with it and completely changed my perception. So if anybody hasn't seen it, which you should have if you're going to continue listening, there's about to be spoilers, just know that it's going to be a fun kind of movie that's playful, whimsical, let's put it that way. Yeah, Russell, I think you had the exact same response that most of America did when the, when this movie came out. I remember it being really discussed as being not well advertised for the kind of film it was. And I think if they, I think if they had better prepared people for it, could have been one of the biggest hits of the year. At least that's my opinion. So, do you feel like the trailers are to blame? Do you feel like the director should have steered into the humor a little more in order to market it? Although 18th on the year is not bad. I, I mean, but with Stallone in it and the kind of track record he had, and, you know, this was also scripted. The original script was uh, by the guy who wrote Heathers. So, you know, this is a, this was a very smart, dark film that I think they didn't quite figure out how they wanted to go with it. And so they didn't, yeah, they didn't go all in on, on the commentary that I think they could have done. Okay. Well, as mentioned before, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. We're going to come back after these messages and we're going to talk about it in depth. It is I, the governor of the magnificent state of California. I am happy to endorse my favorite audio listening podcast show, The Retro Movie Roundtable. I enjoy listening to the multiple episodes of this fine podcast when I am working out on my glutes, hams, triceps, and buttocks in the gym. 
I need to stay strong so I can stop the fires with my muscles. Please help me in my efforts to be supportive to the Gretro Movie Roundtable when you work out your body. It is very important to do this for yourselves. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review to the show. You too can get muscles by giving the Retro Movie Roundtable a five-star review. Like the show on Facebook. Email to RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Take it from me, your 1967 Mr. Universe. This is something you are going to want to do for yourself. And we're back. As previously mentioned, there will be spoilers. So if you haven't seen Demolition Man, you may want to turn this off, go watch the movie, and then come back and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Bears, why don't you refresh people's memory who haven't seen Demolition Man since 1993? All right, so Stallone plays L.A. Cops, John Spartan, a.k.a. the Demolition Man, because he has a tendency to blow crap up. After a pursuit of Wesley Snipes' megomaniac Simon Phoenix ends in a massive explosion and a school bus worth of dead kids, they both get cryogenically frozen in an ice cube prison sentence. 36 years later, when the world has become peaceful, clean, and dull... Simon Phoenix escapes his parole and begins murdering people. Uh, the ill-equipped San Angeles police force. Now, San Angeles is the now Los Angeles, San Diego, giant metroplex. Um, the San Angeles police force decides to dethaw Spartan. And Spartan teams up with a 90s nostalgia-loving Sandra Bullock and her uptight partner, Benjamin Bratt, but finds as much difficulty in getting used to the brave new world as he does hunting down snipes. Faced with fines for swearing, toilet paper being replaced by the three seashells, and all restaurants now being Taco Bell, Stallone quickly discovers the real reason that Simon Phoenix was able to escape. The architect of the squeaky clean society has one last irritation to remove, a freedom-spewing underground rebel rouser named Edgar Friendly, played by Dennis Leary, whose main crime seems to be stealing food for his followers. Sir Nigel Hawthorne plays the society's benevolent dictator, whose name is Dr. Raymond Cocteau, and though he fears Phoenix, he sets him loose to kill Edgar Friendly. Also, Cocteau's primary advisor is the chubby guy from Beetlejuice, so you know he must be a good politician. <laughs> uh, Bullock's character, whose name uh, is Lenina Huxley, uh, which is a Brave New World reference, uh, loves having something to do as a cop for once. She's just been, like, writing traffic tickets uh, and she even tries to have virtual sex with Spartan because she's so excited uh, which goes about as well as you can imagine it's a it's a bit like screwing a glow stick <laughs> meanwhile Phoenix convinces Cocteau to let him bring back some of his favorite criminals including then wrestler Jesse Ventura and they run rampant across the city and although Phoenix has had something imprinted on him that won't let him kill Cocteau Jesse the body has no such restraint and he ends Cocteau of course, the answer for the film is a lot like the answer to society, which is that Spartan brings together the clean-cut police force and the rough-and-tumble freedom fighters, and together they defeat the forces of chaos and Wesley Snipes, and Stallone and Bullock partake in a what they call a primitive fluid exchange and all uh, live happily ever after in a new society. Hooray, fluid exchange. Yay, fluid exchange. So I've got to start off by asking the question that's on everybody's mind. What's your boggle? Well, yeah, okay. What is my boggle? But uh, what's with the three seashells? What What do you imagine? How do they work? So apparently Daniel Waters, who wrote the original screenplay, that was in from the very beginning, and he refused to tell anybody anything other than that. 
So I read a thing uh, where they interviewed Stallone about it, and he said that his theory was always that you use two to clamp around whatever waist <laughs> is there and the third one to scrape any remainder. I, it doesn't seem efficient. I wondered if uh, it was like a bidet system where like one's like water jet and then like one's like air dry and then like one's like a little bit of like freshener like like and you're done. I don't know. That actually I've is the best never the best explanation it. I've ever heard. I, I I don't know. I've never seen these seashells. So and also if you hold them up to your ear, do you hear the ocean in them? <laughs> or do you hear the far off sounds of someone peeing? <laughs> <laughs> uh so here we have uh, John Spartan. He's sentenced to cryogenically f- be frozen after, you know, he botches his mission to rescue some people who have been taken hostage from a bus. And again, they sentence him to be cryogenically frozen for, I don't know, what was it, 70 years, Bears? Yeah, 70 years. Yeah. Yeah, they bring him back early. My next question is, who is his lawyer? Because this seems like way over the top. Yeah, I mean, you would think that the uh, Los Angeles Police Force should have some better support for their for their police officers. Yeah, I mean, the union alone should stop that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's, it's it was a total accident. I don't know. Did it irk either of you that somehow Simon Phoenix was up for parole before him? Well, okay, so this is one thing I did learn from the very unspecific Blu-ray director's commentary, which is that the argument for that was that Simon Phoenix had gone into the system before they had put the no parole in place and that John Spartan had gone in afterwards because his, obviously his case had gone longer. Wow. So because he had actually yeah. gone to courts. So, but that was a total, like, I think a BS reason for you know how they explain that. But Plot yeah. hole explained at least. Uh, <laughs> so you get a skill while you're in the freezer and it seems like John Spartan gets totally gypped because all he gets is knitting. Meanwhile, Phoenix gets, uh, he can speak Spanish and he's a computer programmer, master computer programmer. And karate. Oh, yeah. There was like urban combat kill, demolitions expert, like computer hacker. Like he got all the goodies. Yeah. And all Stallone gets is knitting. <laughs> He can maybe he, throw he, those knitting needles into somebody's eye, maybe. I I, I'm really surprised that didn't happen now that I'm <laughs> thinking about it. But no, I mean, totally. If you look at how easy of a time he had beating the crap out of Wesley Snipes before they go under, like they had to like raise the bar back so they're somewhat even. I feel like if we had gone into uh, cryogenically freezing at the same time, this would be like, Brian, you coming out with the ability to walk through walls and then I can just make a real mean creme brulee. <laughs> People I mean, gotta eat, man. One of those is going to go further on a date. So <laughs> and there's benefits to everything. But if it's a bad date and you got to get out of there quickly, the other one's going to help you out way better. So yeah, that's also true. Isn't it kind of odd that they, uh, I said, uh, I don't know if, uh, I, I didn't catch this until my second times, but early in the beginning, I enjoyed the, uh, I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached, is what Phoenix says. He says, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, were there other of these moments in, the, in there that I hadn't caught the first time? Because I actually thought that was pretty clever. Uh, I mean, they sprinkle a lot of little Easter eggy kind of things for the rest of the movie in on this, but I don't. I think it's just one of those, like, the more you watch it, the more you're like, oh, I see what they did there. 
I think another thing is like he blows everything up and and everything's in fire and of course then he gets frozen and then and and the end solution involves refreezing so that's just sort of thematic hot versus cold and and the costuming too the very blue cold tones of the police force which looks like it was you know done by some sort of fashion designer and then you've got Simon Phoenix with his like you know sparkling red hair type costume thing and yeah it is a very orange shirt. He looks like a uh, a distant relative of Mario and Luigi because he's got like the blue overalls and like a colored shirt. <laughs> so uh, I did uh, see that Stallone actually went on the record saying that it took five hours to film the varying shots from the cryo prison. He said it was the worst five hours he's ever spent on film. Ooh. Huh. Well, he was in like a bunch of goop like the whole time. Yeah. I guess nearly drowning in corn syrup is unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to ask real quick, though. I've always thought if someone asked me if I could go in the future, like in you have no idea what you're getting in for. Would you would you go for it? Would you want to like wake up 50, 100 years from now? And I thought about it before. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I, I'd go for it. I don't know what's going to be there, but I'm in. Usually the future gets better over time, I, I think. What about you guys? Would you do that, Bears? I think I would. I mean, can I come back like younger? Because like, I don't, I mean, if I'm going in the future I'm, and I'm as old as I am now, I sort of feel like I've missed out of what's going to be all the best stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I it's got to be better. I'd at least like to get two years into the future and get past the Trump administration. Well, you would have missed <laughs> the franchise wars and Taco Bell is now the only restaurant, which <laughs> that part sounds like a future that maybe I do want to be a part of because I could go for a crunch wrap right about now. <laughs> No, those uh, that that would have been fried and deemed bad for you, hence illegal. That's that's a good point. What? How does Taco Bell even around at this point? Well, if you look it's at the really portions in that popping. scene, it's like at the smallest burrito ever. So they found a way to like make Taco Bell healthy by making it just minimal. Uh. See, this is exactly why I don't want to go to the future. Is for stuff like this. Like that's that's very you just completely ruining all food for me. By going to the future. Like, it's just, it, it's a hard pass. I'm just, yeah, I'm good. So it's all vegan Taco Bell now. Okay. That doesn't sound as good now. I'm, I'm, I'm cooling on it. <laughs> Brian, why don't you give us a quick rundown of the, this cast? It's, it's actually a pretty impressive cast. It is a fantastic cast. Um, if you saw this on really any movie, I think it would be a must-see uh, just based on it. But uh, we're going to start, of course, with Sylvester Stallone, who plays John Spartan, uh, who gets uh, badass points just because his last name is Spartan. You've got Wesley Snipes as Simon Phoenix, uh, obviously an allusion to raising from the ashes on that one uh, with all the things that are exploding. Sandra Bullock as Lenina Huxley. We got Nigel Hawthorne as Dr. Raymond Cocteau. Uh, Benjamin Bratt as Alfredo Garcia, although Alfredo sauce is gone, so I'm not sure if that was just a family name or what. Bob Gunton as Chief George Earl, whose glasses will never be forgotten in this movie. We have Glenn Shaddix as Associate Bob, and my personal favorite part of this movie is Dennis Leary as Edgar Friendly. Huge Dennis Leary fan. And, and you forgot that also we've got Jesse the Body Ventura as one of the people that Simon Phoenix brings back, the uh, criminals. And then also 
Jack Black has a tiny, tiny little role before anybody knew who he was. Wait, where's Jack Black in this? I've seen this twice now. He's he's one of the scraps. Yeah, he's he's underground with Dennis Leary. Oh, man, I missed this. Yep. No speaking parts, though. Yeah, I think he's just I in the background. I think he had a line. Yeah. Okay. Was he enjoying a rat burger? <laughs> he's, in that, <laughs> he's in that scene, yeah. I think so. I think that's the scene he's in. Well, it's also interesting that two original choices for the roles that for these main two parts were Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme. Van Damme was offered the role of the bad guy, but didn't want that role, and he wanted to be the good guy. Seagal wouldn't play the other part, and he declined, and things kind of changed out, and then we got Stallone. Stallone apparently wanted Jackie Chan to be his nemesis in this. I can't picture Jackie Chan being a bad guy, and he couldn't either, so we got Wesley Snipes in the end. After this casting rotation rolls around, does it feel good, Bears? I mean, yeah, I can't imagine uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal being able to pull off the humor in, in the film. So, And that's what Stallone was looking for. He was looking for a, a comic project at the time because he had a couple bombs that, that were not successful from a humor perspective. So he was looking to stretch his stretch himself out the way Schwarzenegger was. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That's a good comparison. Uh, Arnold had branched out. Maybe he was looking to do the same. I would think if you're a strong man like these guys are, a, a man's man, your, your career is going to be elongated if you can pick up the comedy uh, aspect of your career. And as, as we're talking about this, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's kind of doing exactly what you just said. Yeah, I think this is right after Twins, I think, had recently come out. And that would have been a huge movie for Schwart- uh, Schwarzenegger. So That's a good one. They even did a little hats off to Jackie Chan in the movie where he asks Sandra Bullock where she learned to fight like that. And she's like, Jackie Chan movies? Yeah, that's true. Nice. And also Sandra Bullock was a last minute change, too. Yeah, this is one of those things that I kind of raised an eyebrow at when I read about because I really do like Lori Petty. Tank Girl and Point Break are two favorites of mine as well. A League of Their Own, too. I am super happy Sandra Bullock did this movie. You know, like I said, I, I probably saw Speed first, but you know that was a, a year later, so I can't be a hundred percent on that. Yeah, this is this is the first movie I remember seeing her in. I definitely approve of Sandy B in a movie. However, she's not a very gifted vocalist. Uh, her singing was rough. <laughs> Armor hot dogs. I did have that stuck in my head for like three days after I watched this movie for this. <laughs> It is slight torture. That's actually that's the one thing about the future in that I would never want, which is in this future the most popular music is the television commercials. Yeah. Valley of the Jolly Green Giant. <laughs> Who's that guy? I want to know who was singing that in the in the Taco Bell, the fancy Taco Bell they eat out at. You guys go ahead. I'm gonna research this. Okay. So <laughs> you got to ask yourself, if this is the future and the best oldies hits on the radio are old commercials and are about, you know, nothing more than like 15 minute or sorry, 15 second sound clips, what is your favorite jingle that you're going to want to hear? I mean, I think my all time favorite jingle is I'm a pepper, you're a pepper. Always has been. Written by Barry Manilow. I did not know that part. I would go with uh, the pizza bagels song. Pizza in the morning. What's pizza in the evening. Pizza at supper time. When pizza's on a bagel, you're going to have pizza anytime. Is that a song or is that just a slogan? Oh, no. that's There's a song that goes with that. I can't hear it. you got to sing it. Well, I just pretty much <laughs> I just pretty much did. Do it. I, no, no, no. You, you spoke it. I deadpanned it. It's true. 
Pizza in the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at supper time. When pizza's on a big old, you can have pizza anytime. I mean, I can give you, I'm a pepper, you're a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? Be a pepper, drink Dr. Pepper. Thank you, Barry Manilow. <laughs> Brian, what, what song are you going to request on this oldie station? I'm going to say Kit Kat. Give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. That's a good one. It's a good one. There's also uh, there's also uh, the Huggies, I'm a big kid now, that got stuck in my head a lot back in the day. Uh, the guy who plays the piano uh, in Taco Bell's name is Dan Cortese. He's an actor. It was just a special uh, guest appearance. Wow. All right. And uh, one last casting note. Dennis Leary was actually cast later. and They rewrote the part for him, and they wanted to give him a rant as nobody rants better than Dennis Leary. So, No, that's so true. I think he has like three rants in the film. He's got like one at the be- one at the beginning when they introduce him, and then one later, and then one at the end of the movie. Like just because you can't do anything once, you have to do it three times. Yeah, I want to see Dennis Leary and Lewis Black go off simultaneously on something because these are the two like angry comedians that just you know they have to they have to work themselves up into an utter rage to do their bit. I just feel like Dennis Leary now only shouts at me about buying a Ford. And so it was nice to remember that he actually used to do something else before that. Oh, no, he was big in the 90s. He, he, was, yeah, he, was, he was good. Yeah, he was, he was funny. I just, yeah. I always loved the bit uh, coffee-flavored coffee. <laughs> Brian, what do we think about the director here in this one? I don't really have a whole lot of, like, deep thoughts on it. I think this is one of those movies where you got to take it as it is, if you know what I mean. You got to go into it with, I'd recommend no expectations. I was super young when I saw this, but yeah, I just kind of went into it and I was like, this is hilarious and go with it. But I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever seen anything else he's done. I have not either. His name is Marco Brambilla and I'm not familiar with any of his other movies. It's not a real long catalog, but I, again, I actually thought this movie was really clever when I went back and watched it the second time. So I got to say that they did a pretty good job of finding humor in a movie that if I read the script initially, I'm not sure this much humor would have been in it, but maybe it was. Bears, what are your takes on Marco Brambilla's presentation? Well, I think everything you need to know about him is that he's basically been doing art since this, like modern arts. Um, And he's gone entirely away away from uh, film for several years. He did Excess Baggage with Alicia Silverstone, which is a horrible movie. And his first project, I mean, he hasn't he hasn't done anything since really since that. So so like basically 20 years out of the industry. And I think that probably the humor was in the script. I think there's probably more humor originally since it was a Daniel Waters script. So, you know, Daniel Waters, who wrote Heathers, I almost I almost wonder how funny the script is that we haven't seen the the original. Oh, so do you suspect that Waters wrote it to be more humorous, maybe? Yeah, yeah. So so Waters wrote Heathers. He wrote Ford Fairlane. He wrote Hudson Hawk. He wrote Batman Returns, which is not a good movie. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that there was a lot uh, there was a lot of social commentary slash dark humor in it, and I think they made it a little more screen like a little more comicy. I don't know. I mean, I I don't want to complain too much because it's you know like I said my favorite movie of all time, um, but I can't help but wonder 
what the film would have been like in the hands of somebody who was really a great director as opposed to somebody who was there. Hmm. It is interesting that you mentioned that. I, I did think there were several parts of this that worked really well. One thing that I liked is that the movie opens up in 1996 and you see just a terrible world falling apart. It's like it's like the, the you know, a urban riot, but it's widespread. The whole city's on fire and it's very post-apocalyptic and you don't really get to fully appreciate the future society unless that you see how crappy it is in the beginning and how they would have taken all these measures or why people would have accepted all of this or given their freedoms away. And I thought it was an interesting notion to show the chaos before that. I thought that was a good move on their part as far as the storytelling goes. This has always been a really, really popular genre film with the whole dystopian idea. I mean, I remember watching Escape from New York. There's just been a ton of using the world in ruins. Heck, I even remember, I think there was a Method Man album that was all about Judgment Day or something right around when this came out. I was going to say, I think I think the film also gets a little cute humor right off the bat you know i mean this film came out in 1993 and so the first shot is like los angeles in flames and then it just types on the screen los angeles 1996 and i i think that that actually was intended to be funny right off the beginning because it's like no this is three years from now that's it's sort of and then in retrospect now it's sort of funny because it's like oh this is the future and now it's 20 years in the past so yeah we're getting closer to the time when they're unfrozen uh more and more so it's interesting how much things will have to change before then. We don't ever get a year on the franchise wars, but I, I feel like that's coming. I want a prequel, kind of like how we got to see a little bit of the Clone Wars in uh, the prequels of the Star Wars movie. I would like to see the franchise wars. I'd like to see Colonel Sanders <laughs> with like a chainsaw going into like a like Anchorman style riot with like yeah. Ronald McDonald with the pitchfork. And then you've got like Grimace like throwing a grenade and then... You know, you've got the king from Burger King over there. Like, uh, I'd like to imagine him like with two like kitchen knives, like just slicing people up. I just, uh, can we get this? Can we make this happen? Maybe Celebrity Deathmatch can claymate this for us. Probably. I feel like that's a real easy sell, actually. I mean, it's that's a three hundred million dollar film, probably. But I also, but I think mm-hmm. it, I think people will go see that. I mean, that's not any more ridiculous than all the Avengers movies. I guess Taco Bell, the Chihuahua from Taco Bell, was the one that came out on top. So. <laughs> I did find out that this Taco Bell actually exists. Does it? They did a Taco Bell built a Taco Bell 2032. Wow. Apparently in international markets, Taco Bell is not as popular and not as widespread as it is here in America. And uh, when presented in other countries, they went with a Pizza Hut instead. Yeah. The uh, the reason it's Taco Bell is because they were having trouble getting different uh, franchises to agree to an R-rated film. Interesting. So the ta- Taco Bell yeah. was not afraid of that. And Taco Bell said, yes, bring it. And so that's why it's Taco Bell. Nice. Being that it was in the future, if it was Pizza Hut, I'd be a little bit disappointed if we didn't have Pizza the Hut himself make an appearance. <laughs> so S- Stallone is known as the uh, super serious guy all the time. And Bears, you mentioned that he had tried to dip into comedy a little bit. Do you feel like he's a good fit for what they're asking him to do here. Do you feel like he he certainly looks awkward and he's out of place. What do you think about his performance though, in terms of does he nail the tone? I think he does because his, his awkwardness is exactly what, you know, they're going for. Like that just, 
it, the funny, the reason why the film works is because it's taking a perversion of your expectations of Sylvester Stallone film and throwing him in a situation where that character doesn't belong at all. You know, you're, you're, you're basically setting up an audience expectation of what kind of world a Sylvester Stallone is, is useful in and putting him in a world where he's not useful at all and then saying, okay, but you absolutely need him. So you've got this person who's used to settling things with his fists and now he has to learn, you know, that he's not allowed to swear uh, or else he gets fined. And so he's very out of place. And I think that the awkwardness of that actually really does sell the film. He, he ends up being, I think, the most delightful thing about the film simply because it's so different from any of his other projects especially at that, at that time. High praise. I don't know. I, I found myself at times thinking, like you're talking about, I guess I had expectations the first time, and uh, I've not known Stallone to be in this mode, and I didn't know what to do with this movie as a result of that. I felt like if you had put somebody, I, and honestly, since you mentioned Arnold Schwarzenegger, it is kind of hitting me going like, somehow I think I'd be more prepared for it, but maybe... Maybe I could see him doing it also a little better. I, I don't know that Stallone totally lets loose all the way. I think Wesley Snipes had a great time with it, though. He was, uh, I don't know, I felt like Wesley Snipes was an, another version of the Joker almost. Oh, I that's one of my favorite parts of this movie is Wesley Snipes, basically everything. Yeah, he, he's just chewing scenery all over the place and, and having a great time. Poking out eyes, hacking computers, shooting up the town. I think actually the best, uh, you know, even though the film is set up as Stallone versus Snipes, the, the most interesting contrast is the scenes that, that Wesley Snipes has with Nigel Hawthorne, you know, a, a Royal Shakespeare actor, because their performance style is so different. And you could just tell Nigel Hawthorne the whole time is like, look at this clown, which yeah. I love. It works really well for the film. Right. I mean, it kind of feeds into that arrogance. That was the thing that I thought was uh probably the most outwardly weird part of rewatching it after I haven't seen it in a while. The police chief is such a dick. like everybody else is at least cordially nice to Stallone at the police station, except the chief who's like, like kind of an asshole to him. And the whole time I'm thinking like, wouldn't he be like saying nice, mellow greeting things? No, he's a dirty, dirty criminal. We wouldn't, tell you about your child we got a job to do here i mean i, I just don't... thought that was strange which by the way we don't find out anything about his child was that not like a like a set i feel like somebody set that up and they did not follow through with that that was too heavy of a line emotionally to not follow through on what was what was that because he comes out of the freezing process and he asks about his wife he finds out that she's not around anymore and that that devastates him and then he asks about the fact that you know he had a little girl and they cut him off and there's nothing more to be said about it the whole time it's interesting that you asked that because that was a plot line that was abandoned uh, is essentially there was supposed to be a sequence when you know when he goes down into the underground and meets dennis leary and has the rat burger that's where his daughter is and he was supposed to have a meeting with her for the first time and their relationship rekindled and then you were going to see her again at the end of the film when uh, when they you know make their peace and they say you know the best way to get society forward is for a little bit of each one of you and there was supposed to be some resolution with the daughter but they just thought it was getting to be too much um, they never filmed those scenes so it was taken out of the script but yeah that they that was a leftover line I, I think that's interesting that they didn't excise that line 
I think the sadness of the wife being dead would have been, you know, more than enough. I don't know why you needed the daughter. I agree. And, uh, you know, the movie's a little bit on the long side, so I can I can sympathize with looking for where to cut, but you're right. Just simply removing that one line would... Because that, that, that kept eating at me. The second time through, I was just kind of looking at this going like, ah, did I miss something with that? <laughs> some other things that they did cut out, though, there were some more violent scenes with Simon Phoenix uh, involved. I guess he would have been ripping out the eye of the warden, machine gunning down several in the cryo prison and actually showing it. There was a sewer battle sequence and final showdown where the cryo prison was heavily cut down and the... Uh, Original finale included a scene where Spartan fights and kills several more prisoners who were thawed out. Simon was also there. He had waken up other Cryro people and injected them with something to make them stronger and harder to defeat. And there would have been a more violent scene with Jesse Ventura involved as well, where he takes on Stallone. It's interesting that all of this was done and then cut. It kind of goes back to my question of what was Marco Brambilla taking from the script and do you think that he had maybe shifted the tone of this movie? Because it sounds like they shot these scenes anticipating it to be grittier. But then they took them out in favor of more the campy approach. That's kind of how I speculate. I just want to know where my director's cut is. Yeah. I don't know if there is one. I mean, that'd be... I, I would certainly watch that. Oh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, considering sure. they assumed that this film was going to be R-rated from the beginning, you know, why do you, you know make it a little bit less violent, but still go for the R rating. I mean, I, I don't understand that. I don't know. It, it's weird. It didn't really feel like an R rated movie though. Now that you mention it, did it feel like that to you? It wouldn't be an R rated movie now. I don't think. I don't even think the language is that bad. I, yeah, I mean, they cuss a lot in this. Are you kidding me? Is it that bad? Think of how many times you heard beep. You've been fined one. Yeah, but, that's true. That's true. I yeah. mean, they cuss a lot in this movie, I guess. I guess. But I mean, it's not, it's not, it's, it's a lot. It, and it's a lot of F-bombs too, which is always, always more damning. It, it's not the bloodiest uh, of movies in the world. Like when he goes to the cryo prison, how they chose to shoot it was they just kept the computer just coming up with murder, kill, death, murder, kill, death. For going on a killing spree, you're right. I was sitting there kind of thinking, I was like, I feel like we should see some of this. Uh, their, their tension that they're building there, it doesn't necessarily come through unless you see some of the havoc he's wreaking on them. I mean, there's some good chances for some explosions and some pyrotechnics and stuff to go off. Yeah, uh, like I said, I'd, I'd love to have a uh, director's cut of this movie. I think that'd be totally worth it. I'm seeing there's an online petition for Warner Brothers to release a extended version that was circulating several years back. But it does not right. appear to have many signatures. How about that? <laughs> well, we need to add three right now. It has a target of 1,000 signatures, and it currently has 13. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, for shame. Considering, like, the director's mother is one of them, I mean, uh, and... Uh, <laughs> that's rough, That man. is rough. Wow, we have more ratings than that on iTunes. That's, that's, that's embarrassing. <laughs> I now want to look up who started this this online position petition and see if he's connected anywhere. To, it's like to it's like that South Park kid from uh, the episode on Facebook where he only he doesn't have any friends. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Arnold Schwarzenegger there, Bears, because one of the best lines in this that I thought was Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, the Presidential Library. He was the 61st Constitutional Amendment was passed, allowing him to run for president. And in 2003, Arnold Schwarzenegger was elected 
governor of California and probably would have been a pretty decent presidential candidate had he been able to run for it, but uh, he was not able to. And But it's funny, none of this has happened. And they just amusingly said Arnold Schwarzenegger was president. Ha, ha, ha. How crazy would that be? And, uh, well, Donald Trump's your president. How about that? So it's it's uh, it's not actually even the only time that uh, Stallone has made a dig about Arnold Schwarzenegger and the presidency. In uh, the first Expendables movie, uh, Bruce Willis is inter- basically interviewing both of them for this job he needs done. And Schwarzenegger out- outright says no and that Stallone can have it. And as he's walking away... Uh, Bruce Willis asks him, what's that guy's problem? And uh, Stallone goes, he wants to be president. (laughs) You know, it's funny at the same time as this film making a joke about Arnold Schwarzenegger being president, Last Action Hero was coming out with Arnold Schwarzenegger coming out of the movie and going into a video store. Or actually, he's he's in a movie, he's in, in a video store in a movie. And the kid is trying to point out that he's in a movie and not in real life. And they come across a giant standee of the original Terminator and it's Sylvester Stallone uh, in the, in the character of the Terminator. So they, they were that. always friends and always kind of finding ways to, to rib each other in their films. Absolutely. And I love it. Yeah. And there's a lot of good banter in this movie too. I, I don't know. I guess we got a lot of it between Snipes and Stallone, but uh, particularly in the gunfight scene in the museum, I enjoyed their banter back and forth, and I kind of was taken to like, I love the movie Hot Fuzz with like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, and and them going around town shooting and going on this massive like shooting spree, while having you know campy you know cliche banter and just like soaking it up. And again, this movie, like Hot Fuzz, knows that this is just ridiculous dialogue but they go they they dig right into it anyway i just think it's fun how like these guys don't hit anything they're shooting at but the it's almost like they're having fun with each other i was just kind of thinking it was those new weapons that you know couldn't be aimed because they make a big deal out of this brand new gun that simon phoenix rips off and then it's like literally the worst shot he's like 15 feet away from shooting stallone well, it's, it's almost like a turn-based game where, like, Stallone gets to run away. Oh, the shot went where he used to be. It's like he didn't lead him <laughs> at all. Yeah. But there is there is a tremendous amount of, like, disregard for their own, you know, like, what's happening in the moment. Rather, they just want to get one up on each other, you know, in dialogue. They're even shouting at each other as they're running through the flames in the opening scene. You know, they're fighting in the in the as the whole building is going up in flames and they're yelling at each other. So I think that's just, these are two people who like really, really just hate each other and they enjoy fighting in any version, you know, whether it's guns or, or words, I think their interplays is what really sells, you know, the conflict. Like you said, it's, it's great. In fact, I think they could have done a little more. I, I loved the humorous parts of that. And maybe I just wanted to live in that a little bit more. I think in the museum, they keep pulling out weaponry that they're familiar with. I think it would have been really fun had they pulled out, uh, because it's a museum, had they pulled out some older weaponry for them that's really antiquated, like a, like an old musket or like pick up like a revolutionary like bayonet or like actually fire a catapult or something like that. And He used a cannon he did. to blow open the door. It's true. The museum is no longer sealed. <laughs> I just, 
love the people working at the museum who is like who are like trying to help him break in essentially i mean just as he's smashing things he's like sitting there pounding his hand and trying to break into the break into the display and they're like what can i help you with mellow greetings i would have deviled down one more when he asked him how heavy are you to the guy who came up to him from the museum security and like and then he throws him in through the glass to break in i would have actually thought it would have been funnier had he tried to throw the guy into the case, but then the guy just bounces off. And then, like, <laughs> flops in the floor. And then something else that he does goes even bigger to, to get in through it. So, But I, I thought that would have been funnier just to see the guy, like, splat up against the glass and then fall on the floor and, like, have, like, snipes be like, ah, oh, man, I have to kick this up a notch. There would have been another MF after that for one credit against the verbal morality standard. <laughs> That, that's that's personally my like I think that might be my favorite part of this movie is just they really I don't think that any time that they're indoors and somebody cusses that there isn't at least fadingly in the background one of those things going off. Yeah, if you listen to this film with with headphones, you can make out really really small ones. They they really did go all the way on that. So I love it. Uh, what are some of the funniest things in this future world to you, Bears? Well, I mean, getting past the three seashells and the Taco Bell and the songs that everybody sings. I mean, I think we haven't talked about the way they have sex, which is the most generic, like, it's like pre-virtual reality in terms of, like, completely sitting across from each other, very straight-laced on couches. And the fact that she brings out this, like, weird jewelry box-looking thing that they each put on these headgears. It's it's almost like a ritual. Um, Are you looking at my headgear? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that that was such a detail, like, uh, you know, a very, very smart detail. And also her apartment itself, which is just covered in the most ridiculous 90s nostalgia. Like, you know, it just looks like the 90s threw up on her house. Yeah. And her office like that, too. Wait, so wait, what year are we in again here? 2032. Oh, 2032. Okay, so 2032, right. and they're obsessed. And this, this woman is obsessed with the 90s. So that's like 40 years ago that she's obsessed with. That'd be kind of like us, like, being really obsessed with the 70s. And like having your room littered with all things seventies, is there a person out there who's like got like ABBA on the wall and like Saturday Night Fever posters on the wall? And isn't that um, have you have we stopped to think about like what is Sandra Bullock's deal with the fascination for this time? I don't well, I don't think it was fascination for the nineties. It's she she was fascinated with the late twentieth century. Is what they keep referring to. Well, but it's also it just, not just it's not just pop culture. I mean, it's it, a lot of it is like cop related things. Like she's got a big poster of lethal weapon on her back, on her back wall at her, at her office, which I find really amusing. Yes. That's a, she had that big blow up. She had a big blow up of uh, the chili peppers album, blood and sugar, sex magic on the wall too. Which had just come out, right? Like a year yeah. before that. And I believe lethal weapon was uh, produced by Joel Silver. So that was also a, a somebody, you know, making but a, a reference but, to their own film. But a bunch of the toys and stuff that were on her desk weren't 90s specific. I understand a lot of the visuals were, but she just had a bunch of stuff that was like late 20th century stuff. Yeah, but if you look around the police station, everything else seems fairly serious. But her office looks like it's covered with like stuff all over like it's a Friday's or something. Well, didn't you hear what uh, Alfredo Garcia brings up? 
No. What, well, what specifically was that? But he walks in and he goes, is there anything in this office that doesn't violate blah, 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 blah? And she goes, only you, Alfredo Garcia. <laughs> that actually isn't bad. Yeah, I actually like that. I think that's where we actually hear his name. So, yeah. Yeah. I I thought that, uh, you know, she, the, she comes off as being very different from the rest of the entire police force. So that works pretty well. But but this is a society that is sort of has this fascination with the past. You know, I mean, she's fascinated in the 90s, which is a more complicated sort of, you know, darker time but everybody else with the with the commercials and that dial back the clock for morality i mean it's it's all about making america great again i mean that is what it it sort of feels like that they're going back to this time when america was more moral moral and that we you know we don't have to worry too much and safety on the streets and you know there is always an element that is going to try to sell that as a better society than one in which it's a little bit more dangerous, but we have more freedoms. No, it's, that's a really good point. And I think that that's actually part of why I thought this movie was pretty smart the second time around. I mean, much in the way that, you know, Brazil or 1984, even more extremely po- pointed out, like Brian was talking about, there are other dystopian futures that kind of are making a political statement on today. This movie's definitely doing that. It's definitely saying if you strip people's rights away, this is what we're going to have. So if how much freedom are you going to sign over in the name of security or being safe how much of do you want to take care of your needs by handing it over to the government versus the government picking winners and losers and we see that there's this outcast of people who you know they're basically sent down to the sewers and it's really interesting as you were talking about and as well as political correctness in that and they're kind of poking at each one of these things and while they're having fun and blasting up the place as well as fighting and Stuff. There's actually some pretty smart stuff in here. Brian, what are your thoughts on that that part of the movie? Or are you just more having fun with this thing? I do more have fun with this. But, I mean, you can always draw parallels between political statements that, you know, movies are trying to make. And then, you know, where, wherever we are in, in current political climate. But listening to you guys talk about it, I was just thinking about how uh, crazy it would be if if what we've got going on now, if they tried to outlaw guns, cholesterol, salt, fatty foods. <laughs> it's like, I, it, I understand that there's this is 40 years in the making, but oh my God, I'd be handing over my entire paycheck and cursing. Bears, how's this going to go over in, in the heartland of Texas? <laughs> I mean, I think that we pretty much base our entire society around guns and cholesterol here. So I don't think that this society would be possible. But let's face it, this society is in San Angeles, which is a combination of Los Angeles and San Diego. And I actually don't think it's that out of the question that at least if you look back when this film was made, which is 1993, and the the wave of political correctness that people were just experiencing for the first time and the true fear that existed amongst conservatives at the time. I mean, I think that they were trying to sound an alarm a little bit. And this film is really doing that. It's taking that idea and pushing it to a ridiculous extreme. But it's it's not out of the question if you were to go from right there and say, okay, we're, and, and just imagine how bad Los Angeles had gotten three years after that point where they would be like, you know what, maybe this political correctness thing, maybe this is the way to go. Maybe we do need to monitor everything so that we can have a society that functions and nobody has to be frightened the whole time. Yeah, and 
I I'm not sure if it was Family or South Park. But I definitely remember there was a show where somebody wanted to destroy all of the guns and they were burning them up, and then all of a sudden they looked back and they're like, then they needed them because they were being invaded. Oh, it was it was that was Family Guy. It was like after the apocalypse. He goes, "We will no longer need all these guns. We'll and turned them into like piping, and then all these like the Stewies with tentacles came out. That's right. <laughs> and they're like, "Why did we destroy the guns? Save the guns! No, it's too late. They're burning up." So another really fun thing that I noticed in here was I was I was taken back by the machine uh, therapist that was on there. Uh, they were asking this guy how his day was going, and uh, he's like, "Oh, not well. I haven't felt uh, I haven't I've been down today." And the machine goes, "You inspire joy, joy feelings. <laughs> you look great today. You <laughs> you inspire joy, joy feelings, and all of those around you. You are a wonderful person." <laughs> Somehow the the quality of therapy goes down in the future. I I, I I just want to imagine an actual therapist who does that, where it's just like, man, I don't know. I've been having second thoughts about living. It's like, don't do that. You're a great, great person. You make people happy, happy, happy. Well, I mean, people have apps that send them positive affirmations throughout the day, every hour, you know. Oh, so. my God, we're there. <laughs> <laughs> it's really the same thing. And I want to know at what point in history we start to high five swirl in the air. Did you notice how Rob Schneider goes up to give somebody a high five, but they like then like <laughs> let it like they just rotate their hand and like. Well, they 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 address that too when he first walks up to the big guy and like does like the full handshake, and then she's like, "People aren't used to physical contact." Oh, good point. There was like a flu em- epidemic or something. Everything is based <laughs> on something that happened, right? And so these things happen because of society moving really quickly i think that that, that's there's probably some very long involved you know story behind that that i don't know if we ever needed to see but but yeah if in 1993 you wanted me to come up with the future of the handshake i would demand that it would be will smith and his handshake with dj jazzy jeff in the fresh prince of bel-air where they like kind of lock hands and then like they throw their hand off to the shoulder and goes (laughs) Hmm. that's how we should greet each other in the future so the opening scene, actually, I think it's interesting. Did you think that explosion looked real, Brian? Oh, no. I think the, the special effects in this movie were garbage. <laughs> well, okay. But, well, well sorry. <laughs> it's just <laughs> a lot of 90s action movies suffered from this. So, like, please don't you know, read that as hate. Just, uh, yeah, it's no, this is not the best uh, visual. Effect. I was focusing on the positives here first because the explosion that I was referring to, though, in the beginning when he goes in to face off with Simon Phoenix and the building's burning down around them and it blows up with the hostages inside, it's actually the Billnap Hardware Manufacturing Company in Louisville, Kentucky. They blew up a real building. They really did it. So today you would computerize that in a heartbeat, but it's kind of interesting to think back in 1993, they looked for an old building and they blew it up. Yeah, they had 13 cameras shooting simultaneously so they could get every possible angle. And MTV apparently held a uh, a movie tie-in contest where the grand prize winner got to push the button to trigger the explosion for this scene. So that'd be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. I'd, I'd be like, you see Demolition Man? I blew that building up. For real. It was me. And then and then they'd point out that you left 12 hostages inside and that they were innocent <laughs> people on a bus and you would be cryogenically frozen for the next 70 years. And then forced to eat nothing but lame versions of Taco Bell for the rest of your life. 
guys, I did not win that contest. That is not me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that ain't me. I was lying. I felt like I needed a strong opening line. I do that compulsively. I just like lie and say I did things, you know, like, you know, I invented Pop-Tarts, you know, I, that's a lie, you know. Save it while your cryogenic freezing processes and you're learning to knit over the next 70 years. And you'll be darn good at macrame when you wake up, too. <laughs> uh, what did we think about the like actual environment, though? I thought, I thought this was pretty cool. They found a lot of really interesting uh, buildings and cars in there. Are Actually, a lot of them are prototypes of future models of the cars. Uh, there are only two old ones in there. You got the 1970 Oldsmobile and uh, the 1982 Buick Skylark in there as well. But uh, everything else is very futuristic on steroids and i actually really like the cop car sandra bullock's driving around and it looks pretty cool i said i think they did a really good job of sourcing the cars so that they looked like just the right amount of futuristic but i still found them believable they didn't they didn't seem too ridiculous but they all seem to fit into this world i think the biggest thing was like the way they shot the streets around so you never saw too many other cars in the background because that would have just been ridiculously expensive. The police cars, they always kind of reminded me of Audi's uh, architecture for their vehicles. Mm -hmm. It was really cool. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm an architect, so I'm paying a little extra attention to these things. I'm not going to go through each of the structures, but I wanted to point out that in 1993, we're still in this wave of funky turn back to the past, rejecting modern notions and Postmodernism is really big, but this movie didn't go that way. They found buildings in the early 90s that were still kind of being done in modern principles. And so you have this kind of, there's a high tech sensibility to them. And they're not this minimalistic, clean modernism that you see later on. So in in a way, this is a very, very short lived chapter of uh, modern architecture that you see in the late 80s and up to mid 90s and uh, it's it's actually a pretty interesting collection of buildings that did that uh, at this time so kudos to them because at the time you'd be getting a lot of pretty much playful colorful buildings that were very eclectic in nature and doing all kinds of sad things for me in the world of architecture but uh, I thought it was cool that they bucked those trends and Found some, found the most modern things around at the time and called that the future, just like they did with the cars. So they actually did a pretty good job of creating a futuristic society just by looking around at where things were at the day that were thinking ahead, whether it be with the cars or the buildings. Again, both of those things were bucking the trends for the time. So I just really appreciated that the second time through. But I don't know that they got it as well with the wardrobe. What are your thoughts on the wardrobe, Bears? Well, I think that the cop uniforms look like some sort of weird cross between, you know, Sergeant Peppers and the runway, um, you know, mixed with Napoleon. They're very fluid and and uh, but but regimental at the same time. I don't know. But the rest of everybody else, you know, like everybody just seems to be walking around in sort of Japanese moo-moos. <laughs> yeah, it, it is very, very Asian uh, with basically everything outside of the scraps where they're still wearing uh, tires, basically. I will say the one moment that doesn't hold up at all in the film is there is a really racist joke that Wesley Snipes makes as he walks by somebody. I think it's in oh, the museum. Groovy. Yeah. 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 And I, I just cringed when I heard that. And uh, 
and you know that he was, um, you know, he was improvising through this whole film, you know, because he never bothers to remember his lines. That's been his <laughs> story for, you know, 30 years. So the, I think that clearly that would be taken out now. It's, it's, a, it's almost a shame that you can't go back and just take that out because... It doesn't make sense in the scene that he's doing it in either. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just goes to the fact that he's an asshole. A jerk, yeah. yeah. No, that, 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 that's definitely well pointed out you're right i think if, if somebody kills multiple people for pleasure then their racist outbursts are probably not gonna be the most damning thing about them that's true i think it would have been nice nope. if uh, they that he had done a few more jerk things in the museum like maybe there's a kid like with a uh, like you know a snow cone and like he just like slaps the snow cone out of his hand on the ground and, and like points and laughs at him and he goes ha ha I mean, I feel like that would have been perfectly within his character. So, yeah. Yeah, the more you play that up, the more I forgive some things. But but at the, it just reads as like that they were trying to make some sort of commentary in the way Blade Runner does about, you know, the way society had advanced and, and the, you know, racial makeup of the current people living in Los Angeles. And they just weren't smart enough to do it in a way that was, like, um, non-offensive. Even, even for the 93... You know, I mean, I knew better than that when I was in high school that you don't do things like that. So I don't know. Yeah, Deck, you know the score. You're either cop or you're not. Wesley Snipes, he has different color eyes, which I really like. But his haircut, in theory, he has this back in 96. And while that might be commonplace in the future, that's a strange haircut. It's shaped weird. It's like blonde. And again, he has these blue overalls with like an orange shirt. Uh, it's <laughs> right. just a, I just want you to picture yourself because this is from 1996 in theory. You get on a bus and then you sit next to this guy. It's like a villain from a Pee Wee Herman movie or something. <laughs> I don't know. Did you guys see what they were wearing in uh, the movie Hackers with Johnny Lee Miller? And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's apparently I was too young and probably too much in West Virginia to realize that in New York, people were wearing some really weird stuff in the 90s. Not saying that Jinko jeans weren't weird enough, but... So the chief of police, as Brian, you alluded to this earlier, one of the most wild pieces of wardrobe in this has to be the chief of police's glasses. I just can't stop looking at that guy's face. Like, it almost distracted me. Like, it was just like... It's like... It's got these rims that are offset from the other rims and it's just got rims on rims it's my next pair and why does sandra bullock have no eyebrows i want to know that i, I think sure they're probably unhy they're unhygienic in the future i don't know other people had eyebrows <laughs> i was looking around and i was sitting there going like was this something that happened in the future but no other people have eyebrows i don't understand why people remove eyebrows and then draw them on it's creepy it's like a clown that like draws their face on i don't i don't, I don't like it it's just it's a personal thing it's like always i've always found that unnerving like, yeah i don't know I don't, I don't like that something i meant to look into were his eyes two different colors before he was cryogenically frozen good question i think they changed with the like modification the behavioral modification slash cryo freezing stuff i'm also disappointed he didn't use more spanish along the way that he had picked up because when he, they're unfreezing him he's mocking the guy who's you know reading him his parole hearing and he's mocking him by translating it all into spanish at the time i thought some more spanish use just for the novelty of i know spanish is uh, fun 
And uh, now that I think about it, he handled, I know I know how to computer program better than uh, Keanu Reeves handled learning Kung Fu in the Matrix with, whoa, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> oh, damn, I'm possessed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wonder if I can play the accordion, too. <laughs> that might have, you know, really served him well in combat, the accordion. Playing the accordion? Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. And one last piece of wardrobe thing that I had saw here was Sandra Bullock's costume during the Taco Bell sequence is made out of uh, gems and rhinestones, and uh, it weighs approximately 40 pounds, which is, that's a lot of weight for a dress. And so she starts to jump, uh, celebrating the fact that I think he cuts a tent down, knocking some of the people who are coming their way, at which point that is only going to slow down people uh, coming to mob you. Uh, they're only going to mildly inconvenience them, whereas everybody's like standing around clapping. is like, yay, you've subdued them with a piece of cloth. But uh, she, her dress at this point breaks, and so she's actually holding her arms there, kind of holding it up into place. And that's the actual clip in the movie if you go back and check this out. So uh, wardrobe malfunction. Wesley Snipes' character is definitely where Dennis Rodman got his haircut through most of the uh, latter 90s. The, the Dennis Rodman blonde actually came from Wesley Snipes, who hated the hair color. He literally shaved his head after this movie. Oh, wow. Oh, well, I'm glad that, you know, he had such a positive effect on uh, Dennis Rodman, Dennis though, Rodman. As, a, as a role model. Yeah. Right. Dennis Rodman was like a normal guy in the 80s, and something snapped in him, and then it just all went crazy. Like, he had no tattoos, no weird haircuts, no weird piercings. And next thing you know, Lenny Kravitz. He's hanging out with Kim Jong Un. What did we think about the music of from this movie, Bears? The first thing that always ruins the movie for me, like the first time I watch the movie and I'm like, ugh, is at the end when they kick in this, you know, Sting song, where he kicks, he he does a new version of Demolition Man, and it it just felt really hokey. I was like, did you pick the entire title based on the idea based that you wanted it. to play this song, which? Isn't that great of a song? So that didn't that doesn't work at all. But I think we've already talked about the greatness of the television commercials, especially in the Taco Taco Bell scene. I think the score itself works. It's fun. They they mix together some sort of computer elements with some more traditional type scoring. So it, it feels right for the movie. It, it it doesn't necessarily stand out either which way for me, I guess. I actually thought some of the scenes in the early going, uh, also during the cryogenic uh, freezing process, when the title credits are running and whatnot, I actually think some of that stuff's pretty good. And again, when I started watching this movie the first time, that's one of the things that made me think that we are in for something a little more serious, was, was the music. Somehow, uh, I question, should the music also have dug it a little more into the campy uh, side of things? I don't know. I'm still finding myself asking myself as the director, would I have steered more into the humor side of this? Did they get it exactly right? Or am I trying to pull it too far away from the action fighting thing? Because I think today we look at this as it's just, I think it actually watches better today. Am I wrong in saying that? Like somehow the parts that were shortcomings at the time have now turned into nostalgic campy things that are just over the top, exaggerated, ridiculous, and fun. I think so. But I will say I've, I've loved this film for you know twenty you know twenty five years, so I still loved it in nineteen ninety three. I think it's just it has it has aged better. I wouldn't have said it was my favorite film of all time in nineteen ninety three. So good point. I mean, in nineteen ninety three, if you asked me what my favorite movie was, it might have been like uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
Dunstan checks out. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed, but I really enjoyed that movie. So I did too. <laughs> it's I a well-made it. film. Yes. <laughs> the name said it all. Dunstan was there. He checked in. It lived up to its name. Hijinks ensued. <laughs> uh, look for this bears. Uh, I would say look for the designs of of the interior of the police station, which feels more like some sort of weird like phone operation center rather than actual call police center. Station. Yeah, call center. It looks completely different than what you would expect a, a police station. So I, I like that. Um, I think the design, the teleconferencing, I think that they do, video conferencing. And you mentioned the therapist scene. I think all those kind of modern modern touches that at the time were like, this is ridiculous. And oh, will they ever have that? Self-driving cars. I mean, just take a stock of all the things that, that we don't, uh, that we didn't have in 1993 that we basically have nowadays. Will they avoided the trope of, hey, let me get this fax from over here. And then like they go over to a giant fax machine, the size of a like house printing out a piece of paper, like <laughs> one line at a second with like a, like, you know, scrolling paper through. So they didn't over glorify any current technology from 1993 that now looks completely re- uh, outdated other than maybe the mini disc. They, yeah. They mentioned the uh, laser disc. Yeah. I've got it on laser disc, but uh, I do like, the fact that the computer screens are all designed to be very simplistic as if, you know, in the future, we all only like to look at things and not actually read anything. And that seems to be pretty on point, too. It does. Brian, look for this. I'm going to go with the, the computer voice that is constantly assisting the police with doing their jobs. It is actually the same computer voice from The Thing and the voice actress is uh, Adrian uh, Barbo. Interesting. My look for this is a trivia question to you both. Price is right rules, so you can't go over. What is the body count in this movie? I'm going to say 45. 45. And Brian, what is your body count for this movie? I'm actually going to go low on this because they spent a whole lot of time shooting and very rarely hitting anything. So I'm going to say 15. Oh, wow. Uh, Bears Bears is going to take this one. It's actually 72, according to the internet. So if I'm wrong on that, forgive me. I didn't count every exact one of those, but it does seem legitimate. I guess they're counting uh, the beginning. He's racking up deaths by, you know, taking out the goons and stuff like that. Oh, no, there's there's you know, there are only eight. He says that there's eight of them, all his guys. And those are the only guys I, I actually see get hit with bullets through most of this movie. Well, then there's the. Now, I tell you what, I didn't take into account the all the people Phoenix kills. Yeah, murder, death, kill, murder, death, kill. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, are we including the children in the school bus that he killed before I, the movie actually started? I think you should also count that because there was a number given as well. Yeah, that was 30 bodies. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah right there. There's 30 right there. So, 72. You ready to hand out some awards, Bears? Oh, yes. Let's do it. All right. MVP. Who is your MVP of Demolition Man? I got to go with Sylvester Stallone. For me, he, he makes the film with his awkwardness and, you know, fish out of water quality. I like it. And Brian, who's your MVP? I do this often to Russell's chagrin where I'll just go completely outside of the box. But my MVP for this is Dennis Leary. Uh, his rant about smearing green jello all over himself is by itself would have won him this award. <laughs> well, not to my chagrin, because this time I'm going to go with Brian and just go way out there with you. I'm going to go Dennis Leary as well. I just 
somehow he stole the show for me in this, and I wish he had been. I wish he had been in it more. So I'm as, I'm such a big Dennis Leary fan. If if neither of you have ever watched Rescue Me, I highly recommend it. It was a phenomenal show. Best supporting actor Bears. I'm gonna have to give this one to Nigel Hawthorne. I think he just he feels like he's acting in a completely different film, which I really enjoy, and uh, he ends up being very funny. Brian, who's your best supporting actor? I went Wesley Snipes on this one just because I felt him really enjoy what he was doing this whole movie. Interesting. And they would they would actually uh, allow him to film his own stunts, and then they would go in and refilm them with stunt doubles. <clears throat> Snipes is good in this one, and I'm gonna go for best supporting actor Bob Gunton. He's the chief uh, of the police, and he's a got weird glasses. And you might also know him from Leland from the Daredevil TV series, uh, who he's not a likable character in that, or also more so the warden from the Shawshank Redemption, also a dislikable guy there as well. He is also dislikable here, and somehow, I don't know what it is, it's just like, like Fry mentioned, he's the only guy treating this guy who's been cryogenically unfrozen, who's there to save the day. He's just utterly repulsed by him the whole time and somehow that strong reaction stuck with me so i'm gonna go bob gunton the hierarchy of the civilization um still seemed to be fairly arrogant um i was really meaning more just in the police station it seemed like everybody else was very welcoming of him except the police chief who his attitude more reflected the cocteau uh, and uh all of his dinner guests all seem to be very snooty anti him. So it's just, it's weird. You see more of the, the, the working class uh, group treat wor- warmly or living by the standards. It's almost like how communism failed in, in Russia where you had the vast majority of people living one way, but the people who actually institute that way of living don't live that way. That's a good point. So bears hidden gym. Uh, I'm going to have to give a shout out to Glenn Shaddix as, as Associate Bob, the assistant to uh, Mr. Dr. Raymond Kato, the assistant to Nigel Hawthorne's character, because yep. uh, he's just so quirky. And, you know, I don't think that guy got enough work. Yes. I, 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 you, can't, you can't have him in enough. And the way he just switches from, you know, being all in on Kato to like, oh, I guess Simon Phoenix is in charge. Okay, I can be really helpful to you now. That sort of uh, lack of loyalty, I, I, I loved. Yes, I love it. Yes, uh, that, that's my pick as well. And you nailed it. So, uh, Brian, who's your hidden gem? Hidden gem? Uh, well, I was actually, I, I, I brought it up a little too early, but it was, I had it initially down as the computer voice for, uh, for the thing. I'm actually going to go with one of the things I thought was super interesting. It's not really a hidden gem, just something that if you ever do rewatch it to look out for. The fact that a lot of, um, Wesley Snipes's moves in this are actual karate moves, but they're jerky because I guess he's too fast for camera film at that time. It would look blurred. So my look for this is watch how he tries to slow down real stuff he knows how to do. Wow. Yeah, it's like Randy Moss when he, uh, he went into the huddle one time. He said, throw the ball as hard as you can, and I'll slow down and catch it. <laughs> So, uh, best shot of the movie, Bears. I mean, you got to go with the opening shot of the Hollywood sign in flames as as a setup, along with the super title, 1996. Mm-hmm. That's a great opening. Uh, Brian, 
best shot? My best shot for this is the whatever they did to make Wesley Snipes freeze at the end for his eventual decapitation. Interesting. I actually did. I, I thought that was really cool for the time. Are you talking about like when he gets beheaded and like the blood is like all a solid and it like scatters out in like particles? Well, it, yeah, it was the whole the whole process of the little blue dot hitting the ground and flash freezing everything within a certain uh-huh. area. Okay, yeah. that. A little before that then, yeah. Um, for me, my best shot, I'm going to go with another cryogenic freezing scene, but it's going to be more at the beginning. I guess you mentioned that Stallone said this was the hardest time that he's had making a movie. Well, I'll say it was well worth it. I just really thought that rotating zoom shot... Uh, as the liquid is filling up in that cryogenic freezing tank and the body's being suspended in there. It's really good. And I actually think the Matrix might have taken a little bit of a a nod from this later on when they shoot their humans being harvested in the fields by these machines. And so it's a good shot there. Um, I thought there was a lot of good camera work there in the beginning while the credits were rolling. I was a little irritated that the credits were rolling at that point. I feel like they should have rolled those credits earlier bears best scene uh i gotta go with the initial scene in the police station in which stallone has to confront uh not being able to flush the toilets uh and goes off on a bunch of violations of the verbal morality credits to uh to get some paper for himself i i also enjoy when rob schneider's like <laughs> he doesn't know what to do with the three seashells and then all of a sudden like stallone like looks at him and like i'm happy you're happy <laughs> um brian best scene my best scene i think is probably going to be any of the pure one-on-one stallone snipes fight scenes where they quip back and forth i just really thoroughly enjoyed all of that yes i'm going to take that and then be more specific and say with the gunfight in the museum was my favorite scene it's yeah. th- time to die. You forgot to say Simon says. Like, <laughs> like give me that all day. There's terrible marksmanship in this, but great banter. <laughs> well, that's why they keep missing. They're thinking too much about what to say. Uh, and you know what? Bullets have been mostly destroyed. And like, have you, did you notice the amount of shooting they did in this? It's like, are they making more bullets or do, what kind of museums? Like we kept 12 guns, but we kept all of the bullets. Well, I kind of assumed that once he got down to the sewer place, there were more guns. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fair. Uh, off, off market, black market guns. No, no, because Dennis Leary didn't have any guns. He, he had. A, yeah, he did. He had that weird shotgun pistol. Yeah. Yeah, but mostly they were like attacking with forks and knives. I mean, he makes a comment about that. Yes, it's true. Well, all he says is use these weapons to shop for dinner or groceries. I think they should just hurl rats at them, you know? If they bite you, you'll be infected with a plague. I mean, that's very effective. It's a rat burger. (laughs) Yeah, just throw rats at them. Change one thing, bears. I guess I'd like just more of the fun and games before it gets bogged down in the plot of trying to figure out why Simon Phoenix is there. I want more of the fish out of the water stuff with, with Stallone. I like that. I guess that's not one thing. That's just like 20 minutes of the film that I want it to be 25. I like the fish out of water moments as well. Brian, change one thing. You know, most of our change one things in this show uh, are usually around either a movie being too long or too short. And I'd, I'd love to, to break that cycle, but I want a director's cut, man. I want to see everything they already filmed and cut. Yeah, you want to see Simon go on that killing spree. 
I, I don't really care what the content is, but I, I would like to see what the whole of the movie was before really judging it as a total piece. Okay. Uh, and it's not a short movie to begin with, but uh, Brian wants longer. I'm going to go with my change one thing. I'm going to have Spartan start a revolution that brings in the scabs from the sewers and leads them to overthrow the masses. I feel like a bigger scale battle where the authorities are being overthrown by those who were being repressed would be a fun and inspiring, but B my ulterior motive here is it gets Edgar friendly played by Dennis Leary more into the back quarter of this movie and making him a bigger character where Stallone and Leary team up together to lead on the resistance. Go bigger. I say, I'd like to see that movie. Yeah. I think that'd be good. Best quote bears. It's a, it's oh, a trip so to- many. It's a triptych from Sandra Bullock. Let's go blow this guy. He finally matched his beats. Blow this guy away. Uh, I guess you really licked his ass. That was great, too. That that was one of her best flubs. Oh, that was, yeah. Brian, what's your best quote? Well, I wanted to bring up, I actually used... A quote from this movie in one of the first podcasts you had me on, Russ, as the ending quote. And that was, Mellow Greetings, Museum Patron. What's your boggle? All right. I like it. And and I didn't know what you I didn't know what you had done that from at first. I had to go look it up and I was like, OK, Demolition Man, I'd, I've not seen that. And now when I got to it on this movie, when he says, what's your boggle? I was like, where have I heard that? And then I remembered it's the <laughs> great movie and uh, great movie fan, Brian Fry. I, uh, there are so many great lines in this and so many of them you can use out of context and people just look at you weird, which I love doing all the time. Uh, for instance, yeah, I do teddy bear. <laughs> and then, and then, and then he's just magically released out of the chair that's holding him down. This security system's terrible. Simon says, Simon says bleed. <laughs> it's a, it's a great screenplay. It really makes me want to read what the original screenplay was before it was rewritten. I don't know. My, my best quote is actually going to be some very minor characters. Early in the movie, you, they're talking about how destructive the demolition man is and his uh, method of working. And you have a news reporter like interviewing him as he's pulling a kid oh, out of it. It says, uh, how do you justify <laughs> destroying a $7 million mini mall when the little girl's ransom is only $25,000 and the little girl on his shoulders who's been rescued like looks over at the news anchor and goes, F you, lady! And John Spartan goes, ah, good answer. That was amazing. Yeah, I, I rewound that. That was really great. The kid delivered a job, a great job on that. I considered hitting Jim just for that kid. Uh, <laughs> Rarely do you get a little kid that pulls off a moment like that. Usually those are just thrown into films and they just don't, right. you know, it's either a young kid or an old woman, you know, but... This kid really nailed it. I do have a runner-up, though, uh, with Wesley Snipes. Simon uh, says, Sorry, Rambo, I need to borrow this. And he takes a, a, a gun yeah. from the display, and obviously Rambo is a reference to Stallone. That was great. I mean, maybe, but maybe in this world it's a Stallone movie. I mean, it's a, it's a Schwarzenegger movie. Could be. Ooh. So uh, before we give our ratings, Bears, tell the people at home about the Other Worlds Austin Film Festival. 
Yes, Other Worlds is the preeminent science fiction and horror film festival uh, possibly in the world, certainly in America. And you can find us on www.otherworldsaustin.com. When is the festival? It's uh, in December, so the December 5th through 8th this year. It's always the first weekend in December, if you're listening to this in 2032. Do people travel for this? Like, is it a... Yeah, absolutely. We get people who come from all over the country, and we have filmmakers from all over the world. Last year, we had filmmakers from Taiwan and Australia and Sweden. So um, we have a lot of filmmakers that come in and a lot of fans who have been with us every year for the last five years. You, you mentioned having a film out. Where will, be, where will you be able to see that as well? So it is making its way around the film festival circuit. It'll next play uh, the All Genders, Lifestyles, and Identities Film Festival, the LGBTQ film festival here in Austin. But it should be coming soon to a town near you all around the country for the next year on the film festival circuit called Conversion Therapist. Conversion Therapist. Check it out. So this brings us to the full circle. Round to the end here where we started. What would you rate Demolition Man Bears on a five-star scale? It's five stars for me. Five and a half, even. I like it. Dial it up to 11. Exactly. Brian, what do you rate this movie? Uh, I'm going to give it a solid four. Four? I like it. First time I watched this, I actually would have given it a super low rating because it kind of got done. Maybe I wasn't in a good mood or something. And I kind of, I, Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I came out of there going like, man, I, I, I'm not feeling this. And I was thinking more like along the lines of like a two-star movie. And then I watched it and I enjoyed it more. And I'm going to bump this up to a three and a half. And I suspect maybe over time, because you guys have seen this way more than I have, I think the humor is going to shine through more as you go on. I'm going to guess, like I said, I think this movie has aged really well, and it's better today than it was in 1993. And that's an interesting thing for a campy movie to do. Agree. Time to help pick a movie for next time. Brian, you look like you're the man for the job. You ready? Oh, I'm always ready. I hear we need to do a great fight scene. So we're going to go with option one. Bloodsport from 1988 follows Frank Du, an American martial artist serving in the military who decides to leave the army to compete in a martial arts tournament in Hong Kong where fights to the death can occur. Option number two, Mortal Kombat from 1995. Three unknowing martial artists are summoned to a mysterious island to compete in a tournament whose outcome will decide for the fate of the world. Option number three, Big Trouble in Little China from 1986. A rough-and-tumble trucker helps rescue his friend's fiancé from an ancient sorcerer in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown. Oh, I, I, those are all excellent choices. Um, I would love to review each and every one of them, but I would say Bloodsport is the way to go here. Well, if we live long enough, we'll review every movie. That's a promise to everybody out there. I don't know that we will, but we'll just <laughs> one a week. We'll just keep chipping away at them all. Uh, blood sport it is check that one out for next time bears thank you so so much for coming on the show for your first time we hope you had fun yeah i did thanks for having me thanks for letting me talk about my favorite film of all time absolutely and to all the lords ladies and knights of the retro movie roundtable we invite you to reach out to us we want to hear from you subscribe rate and review to the show on itunes spotify stitcher wherever you get your podcast those itunes reviews are really helpful and fi- help other people find the show uh give us a like on facebook email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com if you want to be on the show or want to have a longer discussion yourself as always thank you for listening be good to each other and watch more movies brian And by the power vested in me, I now pronounce you man and knife.